Hey everybody, and thanks again for joining me today for another episode of the NHS 100K podcast with me, Matt Taylor. Special one today, probably been about a year in the making, and uh, it was the original kind of motivation for me wanting to do the podcast in the first place. So today, I'm welcome, welcoming to the studio the NHS 100K crew. How are you doing, ladies? You all right? Hello. They're all very nervous. They're all very nervous. So, but uh, relax, we'll be fine. So one by one, just bounce around and just let everybody know who you are first before we go into uh, the ins and outs of all the NHS 100K stuff. So whoever wants to go first, please do. Go around the set. All right, Kathy, you go first. So I'm Kathy. I'm a paramedic up in uh, Liverpool. And uh, I met up with Lilith and Sarah, first of all, back in October, I think, 2021, 2020. Yeah. So and since we got the NHS off to a start leading up to the mandate. So I'll let these guys tell them where they, they all are. Uh, I'm known as Lilith. Uh, I think I was basically the front of NHS 100K because I'm silly enough to put myself out there. So, and I'm a paramedic down in London. I'm Sarah. Um, I met everybody in our little telegram group, which was started, I think, when I joined, it was about April 2021, two? One. I'm Sam. I'm not a paramedic. I'm a mental health nurse. Um, and I was a little bit late in the game into the NHS 100K um, after meeting Sarah at a meeting in, in our hometown, um that I was invited along to and uh, with like-minded individuals and and Sarah said did I fancy getting involved and came along to one of the one of the uh, zoom calls probably end of October beginning of November 21. I'm Kaylee um I'm not a paramedic I'm not NHS staff I met uh, the rest of the guys at a march in York I think it was in November maybe 21 um, I was just I set out to support my mum who's an ICU nurse who's unvaccinated um, and I met the guys and um, just uh, started helping out with the projects and the admin side of things a little bit Hi, I'm Matt. Um, I'm uh, a paramedic, but no, I'm only teasing. I'm only teasing. So we've got, <laughs> thank you very much. And just to say, Kaylee uh, is the glue that holds it all together. And Sam, she's the mental health nurse that keeps us, you know. Insane. <laughs> so, yeah, so last week, I think a few weeks ago, we tried to get this on and uh, I'm not going to name any names. Lilith um, <laughs> was not very well prepared, so the internet was knackered. So that did, did like, just, we're all friends here. Um, but yeah, Overcrowding uh, in London. Yeah, well, this, uh, yeah, I suppose. But we've got cover north, south, east, east and west. So we've got cover all over the country which is good. And it's also quite good. I think that you all come from different locations in, and you've all managed to, um, to join together. So straight out of the gates then. So what, for those of us that, cause a lot of people I think would have come along halfway through the journey as well. So, um, what is NHS 100 K all about? Uh, so we are, we are all were a group that um, just kind of banded together to stop the vaccine mandates coming through. Uh, we saw the carers come down with and suffer with their vaccine mandates and uh, we knew that we were next, well, the NHS um, trusts and all. 
uh, we knew the NHS was next. And if they succeeded with vaccine mandates through the NHS, we knew everyone would be forced to be um, forced with these mandates. Uh, so we wanted to stop that. So we got, got together and uh, created something really big, actually. Yeah, I know, just a little bit. So obviously, as, as I previously said, you guys are from all different parts of the country. How did you guys kind of come together to to kind of, you know, formulate NHS 100K? Uh, so uh, I think most of the Freedom Group know that every month there was a march down in London. So a lot of us participated in that. Uh, and through people who attended those marches, we kind of found each other. I found someone who I used to work with uh, in my workplace uh, and she knew about the telegram group so she added me onto that and through that telegram group which is predominantly ambulance staff uh, we we met uh, and spoke to each other and then I caught up with Kathy uh, eventually caught up with Sarah um, and then we just met occasionally uh, during the monthly marches and then once the mandate started becoming a lot more ominous we started to <laughs> talk together in this uh, ambulance telegram group uh, and we just started creating and planning on how to stop it. Yeah. I remember being invited to that ambulance telegram group for the first time and thinking there was an actual ray of sunshine because <laughs> yeah. there was nothing like it about at the, at the time at all. Um, okay. So let's, you're making it sound like it was really an easy thing to kind of get together really. Um, but I remember meeting Kathy we were on a zoom call for something else. I think it was a public health authority zoom call, weren't it? When they were trying to basically, oh, I'm not trying to say this without sounding harsh, but they were trying to reinvent the NHS service from a 999 response point of view. Um, and they wanted us to come up with some things. And we were trying to say to them, people can't just go into people's houses off the street and start giving people CPR, no matter how much of a delay there is this. Um, and then we, we started chatting then, wasn't it? And that's when I found, you know, started working with you guys a lot more um yeah. so i think it's interesting how we've all kind of met each other through you know a uniting of freedom i think would be a would be a good thing to say okay so i think you paraphrased it really well there because I, I don't know some of the audience were there right at the start some of them have come on later on so for those of people that aren't aware of what was going on obviously the mandates were brought in for some of the nhs care uh, nhs workers or for all of the nhs care work nhs workers um and lilith is very very nicely playing down the nhs 100k's role in in in, in everything that happened so you could probably argue that the nhs 100k girls and i'm gonna shower you guys with praise because they never get praise um they they are probably the main reason why the mandate was stopped um i know there was lots of people getting behind it and all that but nhs 100k were uh and the together guys as well um were straight off the bat um in trying to get everything sorted out in fact i think nhs 100k were just there a little bit first um with everything else so we owe you guys a great deal so thank you um and you guys gave me the inspiration as well to, to do the stuff that i was doing albeit i didn't know i'll be working with you guys in this capacity now but you know so i thank you and i thank you know everyone else thanks you guys as well so give yourself a nice pat on the back you said you'd get a notification didn't you you said it as well didn't you <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so we're joking aside yeah um but joking aside you know these girls have done so much for everybody and, and i don't think um people really really fully appreciate exactly the work that goes into it which goes to say <coughs> so 
we're gonna sit that up don't worry about it it's fine don't worry about it so um i think we were we were really lucky in terms of where we were like it it I know you said that there was a lot of hard work put in and there was quite a lot of hard work put in, but there were moments where there were things that happened and it it flowed. Um, so it, when when the carers went through their mandates, we were really lucky with one of the teams in the uh, Telegram group, uh, Jay. So I think he had a bit, well, he definitely had foresight about what was coming. So he managed to purchase some domain names uh, we got one of the guys um, in the ambulance um, telegram group, Jay, who had the foresight to purchase some domain names. And we were tossing up between, I think there were two domain names. I think there was uniforms against mandates and then there was the NHS 100K um, domain name. Um, I think there was an article that was published that said that there were already, uh, there was a risk of losing 100,000 staff uh, due to these mandates. So we just thought it was a nice, easy number. We picked up that domain. Um, and we just managed to get involved with the right amount of people at the right time. Um, once that domain name was kind of purchased and stuff, we had the opportunity to uh, join up with Louise from Save Our Rights who marched for the carers who lost their jobs in November. Um, and I managed to um, do a speech there that kind of introduced us into the game really. Um, and that helped kind of put us out there and we started having that support. And then it was just a series of just people along the way who kind of found us, who popped ideas through um, or, they, or they already had ideas that we picked up and we asked if we could use it to amplify the cause um, because we, we knew that we had to have a united front. Mm. Um, so we had people like... Uh, ads who did the selfie campaign so he organized all that and we helped to boost that to get people to send in their selfies remember like with the placards about you know our roles how many years and the hashtags that we used um we also had a friend cisco who who created a letter to the lords because um I think he, he was trying to push for the Lords to fight against any legislation that was being created. So Kaylee and I spent a lot of hours collecting signatures and printing it off and sending it off. Um, so that was our bonding moment. Um, and then we had, uh, we just found uh, this lady on Facebook who suggested laying out uniforms in Trafalgar Square. So we asked to unite with her. Um, and it, there were just so many people along the way that made it such a kind of a smooth transition into the campaign mm. um and it just worked out really well so uh, we i think we put we we built up uh the campaign group through i think it was october november december um and with the monthly marches we got the group got bigger and bigger and then obviously the mandates were really really in our faces uh, and January we had the big march and um, we were lucky enough that Fiona um, from Covey Leaks and um, the Worldwide Demonstration for for Freedom rally, I think it was, Worldwide right. Demonstration for Freedom, she allowed us to march with her, um, her team um, and we were able to make a presence. Uh, we used the uniforms, we threw the uniforms over Downing Street, which was a lovely, lovely uh, event, I must yeah. say. Um, and then we just supported a lot of um, NHS staff through the bullying and harassment that was occurring at work. 
um, we had a lot of stories of staff members who were working during the pandemic and had their work colleagues working as a team suddenly turn against them for a choice. Um, and it did become quite vicious. And I think a lot of, we, we have actually lost a lot of NHS staff through these mandates and what occurred, which is really disappointing. Mm. Um, and then we had the Together crew as well. They assisted um, our group to become a bit more uh, out there in the social media um, uh, realm and also with uh, what is it called mainstream media with GB News. They had the links that we didn't have. Mm. So we were just really lucky with the people we met and the people who amplified um, the campaign. So we were just, we had really good allies at the right time. So thank you to everyone. It's not every, I haven't listed everyone because it's quite a big list, um, but we can go through that afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we go, we'll go through that at the end, like with the credits, with the end credits for the movie. <laughs> um, okay, so what, um, what did we do in, in, in the fight exactly? Well, we, we like Lilith said, I'll just recap on. She's she's mentioned quite a few of the um, projects we did. Um, the This Hell campaign, which was something that probably did really um, take off. Um, we got a lot of interest from that, mm. um, thanks to ads. Who, um, obviously, it was his idea. Um, and the name This Hill um, came from, um, it means that you're willing to die on the hill you choose. So basically, we... In other words, we were prepared to lose our careers over these mandates, um, no matter what. Um, we launched a, a purple bow campaign where everybody wore a purple bow. So it was, um, you, you know, it could be we recommended people wearing it around work um, so that people felt alone. They knew that they were in the same situation. Um, we wrote to Chris Whitty, um, as well as all the NHS CEOs. Um, we contacted them again after the U-turn as well to demand a public apology, but as usual, we, we didn't get no response from one single um, CEO of the NHS. Um, we wrote to MPs, but we also thanked those MPs that um, voted against the mandates. Um, we helped to gather members' information. Um, so a guy called, um, I think it was Simon, could petition all the unions. So it was the RCN, your GMB, Unison, BMA, um, so we did that. What else did we do? Um, we did the march. Um, we also held protests outside <laughs> of employees in Leeds as well. Um, yeah. After the U10 to demand a public apology from Danny mm. Mortimer, stated that the vaccine far outweighs the loss of... Um, a few thousand staff, wasn't it, he said? He said a few uh, thousand staff. Yeah. Um, so we did that. And whilst we were there, we paid um, a visit to the BBC as well. And NHS in, in um, England, um, but we we did have we we also handed a um, a little photo album of all the um, so, so all the all the selfie photos yes, we put together yes, into yes. a photo book to um, give to Danny. What else did we do? We wrote to all the universities as well because obviously mm. they were imposing these mandates on the students as well. So we were there to help them. So we did um, get a lot of um, yes. contact by parents as well who were concerned for that obviously mm. the, the, the children um else did we do also we also did um we launched a campaign after being contacted by a lady in scotland um she informed us that um that there'd been a ban on ivf treatment mm. um on the 24th of december um and there'd been 
campaigning, trying to fight for about three months and they weren't, weren't getting anywhere. So they approached us and asked if we could help them. So we launched a campaign um, to try and obviously overturn this. And within a week, um, it was it was lifted and they allowed um, you know the, the treatment again. Also, another lady contacted us and she was refused her treatment. Um, which I think she was due to have it on the Friday. And then contacted us, said that um, she had to sign some consult, some consent form, but um, they didn't have the consent form available, so she would have to wait another month for our treatment. So I asked with their permission if I could write to our, um, I think it was the professor of Glasgow Royal Infirmary. So wrote to him and also sent something off to Nicola Sturgeon. And within that, well, on that actual afternoon, she contacted us and said that um, they were going to allow her a treatment that Friday. So, what else do we do? That's um, enough, man. I mean, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think people forget that there was. We, only do, like we still continue to challenge like discrimination. We're always, you know, we get people letting us know about job adverts that are still requesting vaccines. So we'll approach that NHS trust, um, you know, to basically tell them it's wrong what they're doing. It's very rare we get any response from any of the emails we send, which we, mm. we know that's the case. But at least we sort of planting that seed and you know getting it out there that we still here and we will still challenge us. Yeah. Um, and well, then, then we start then, well, well, yeah, yeah, I'm getting to that. Thanks, well, thanks it, to it, you. It, thanks it, to you. Yeah. Hey, it's all about you girls at the moment. We're still not at the point where I I enter the scene yet. Yeah, this is what I keep saying to everybody. Um, okay, so. Um, Kathy, can you tell me how you um, how you tackled the mandate because this for the students because I remember um, I remember all of the campaigns that you girls were were behind and I remember the letters being on the website which listed after the for the templates for the MPs and I remember all of it um, we were all there we were all there together um, but I remember the um, the students being an, an issue because this was just as they were due to go back wasn't it I yeah. think for the start so um, <clears throat> can you just give me a little bit more I'm well, proper getting like you girls to pimp out what you've done man. Well, as you said about the letters that we put on the website, we had template letters for people to write because really a large part of what we did, because as you can see, we're only, we were only a small group really and we had a lot to do. We were really trying to empower people to challenge this mandate themselves and that included the students. A lot of the time, like Sarah said, it was parents that were approaching us because they were terrified. They didn't want the vaccine. They certainly didn't want it for their kids. They were being told that they needed to have it to be able to continue on the courses and placements. Um, so we did a lot of trying to empower them to challenge it as well, referring them to the letters on the website. And then if they didn't get anywhere, we were writing um, to the chancellors and the universities and the heads of department to try and make them see that once, especially once it was overturned, that they couldn't really enforce it. Um, mm. so they did have quite a bit of success with that, but. It was nice to be able to get that. Really, the hard part was to try and empower people to challenge it themselves because we couldn't fight everyone's battles. So, yeah, with really, yeah. Um, getting the website organized with those template letters was amazing. Um, mm. to get people just to write themselves and just try and stop it. Um, so mm. yeah, it, it, it was. It was upsetting as a parent as well. I, I couldn't imagine how they must have felt being in that position trying to watching their kids terrified to, to be able to continue their education to yeah. support the nhs that we've all been in for years it was wrong wasn't it so wrong <laughs> yeah like pawns in a divorce weren't it really yeah definitely yeah 
Well, but you, you managed to do it and you managed to, um, I think a lot of the, when you say you had some success with it, what did you get like with the universities overturning the um, the conditions of uh, coming back to uni yeah. being? Parents that were brave enough to challenge it realised, the departments realised that they couldn't, they couldn't um, enforce it. But I think they just thought that most of the, the kids would just go, oh, well, I'll have to have it then. Um, but when the parents get involved, you don't cross a mother. <laughs> so no. they, they, did, uh, they, they did get the successes then when they stood up to it, and that's all it needed to do, because <laughs> we were all potentially being bullied, weren't we, into it? Yeah, but, um, yeah. And this, this, up to bully. Well, this segues nicely into my next question for Sam. So from your perspective, also you being the head doctor of the crew, you know, <laughs> how did it affect how did it affect many both physically and mentally you know all of this i know and do you know what i i, I guess I probably should explain a little bit uh when when it, this all first happens or even pre-mandate and they actually shut the schools down i remember because I, I work i work with young people with mental health difficulties and um one of the first things that i said was this is going to have a massive negative impact on young people's mental health that is going to ripple for years and years to come um and we're starting to see that massively now coming through our referral rates i think are up 30 percent um across the across the country with a lot of increase in anxiety um but at the time, um, the, because they stopped, they stopped us from seeing people, young people face to face, unless there were there was risks, um, either they were they were going to significantly harm themselves, um, which for young people to be isolated a crucial part of the development. You just know the, the detriment that's going to have on them. So we were getting phone calls from 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 young people, absolutely terrified that they were going to kill their parents because of this virus because that's what they were hearing so this absolute fear factor that was being driven not not just adults but young people as well and the impact that that was having on on their mental mental well-being as well as being isolated um away from away from from their peers so Mm. so then by the time we sort of got through, which was probably what about eighteen months later to the mandate, where the the vaccine was going to start coming through, we'd already started to have some young people start to have the vaccine, who um, were coming into coming into service, and particularly females saying that, that it had an impact on their physical health in terms of their cycles. That you you sort of start to. To think, hang on a sec, you know, what, what is this doing to, to their mental well-being? Because some of them are coming in really stressed about it. Then with the um, sort of social media side of it, um, we were seeing a lot of messages coming through from from the staff. It was impacting um, who whose jobs were, were at risk, their careers were um sort of, you know, potentially going to be over, saying how stressed they were, um, how their mental health was deteriorating. Um, and that was across all of our social media platforms, so Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, I'm not sure if any came in on the emails, but certainly across the social media platforms as well. Um, so we, we we sort of looked at what we could do to try to support those staff that were, were being impacted there as well. 
So when you say social media, sorry to just interject there. So when you say social media, was that was that people reaching out to 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 your service through social media as well? Yeah. 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 They were getting in touch, um, certainly via Twitter and, and Instagram. They, they were sort of doing messages. Um, we picked up quite a few, didn't we, Sarah, on on the Twitter responses? Yeah, George um, was on Facebook as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. So you're you're one of your. It's it's under. Is it under eighteens? Oh, I was it up to yeah, 16, yeah. up to seven. Okay. So so these and these got these people are already sort of highlighted as vulnerable, or are these yeah. people that have, or was there more cases of more people being newly diagnosed with the, those sorts of things? If that made sense, what I just said. Um, I mean, we, we saw immediately the impact on the young people who are already open to our services. But what we've yeah. seen over the last, certainly over the last 18 months, is a, is a, is a 30% increase in referrals in young people. And is there a specific age group in there, young, younger age group? I know obviously young people, but is there a specific sort of um, age range? Well, we tend to work with them from about five, six upwards to eighteen. So, um, right. but it, it tends to be the older adolescents that we're getting we're getting through more with lots of sort of anxiety or, or struggling to re-engage back into school as well after mm. being out for so long. Mm. So, so w- w- did it prevent you from doing any work properly? Um, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they asked us to do video calls. We work with a lot of young people who are on the spectrum, trying to get you know people on the spectrum to answer video calls. It, it, mm. It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, some of us started actually just going out and doing home visits. To be honest, we just got back in our cars and just drove round, um, just to to go and knock on doors and, and to see young people at home. Mm. Um, because one of the other things that they were doing, and I know they were doing it across the hospitals, was that if somebody came, there was only one person to accompany them. Um, if you've got a single parent who's got three, four kids, that's not going to happen. Mm. So, mm. you know, so, some people were almost set up to fail. So, oh, God. okay, right. Right, we've got to balance this out a little bit, haven't we? Do you know what I mean? But yeah, it's not all going to be doing. <laughs> we need to get doing, to some right? happy stuff now. No, no, but this is the reality of what we do, though. That's the yeah, thing, people. So, this is this is what people need yeah. to get. It's not all like you know, like you know, um, what is it? Nine nine nine. What's your emergency? Where it's all we're just picking up old people off the floor, and they're all really grateful, and they're kept lovely and warm, yeah. and you know, it's bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, okay, so so Kaylee, save the best till last here. Okay. Um, Kaylee's the non-clinical person of the group, um, which makes her probably the most intelligent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's been as corrupted with uh, with our e- with the egos and the and the god complexes that we develop working in the NHS. So so thanks for that. Keep us on a straight and narrow. Um, so uh, uh, this is the, this is why it's good that everybody works so well together because we've got everybody from all different clinical kind of backgrounds and a civilian you know <laughs> so we've ticked the criteria haven't we so we're all right we've got a special person but uh, no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding so you briefly <laughs> said <laughs> you briefly said that you you bumped into uh to uh some of the girls up in york was that at a um uh a march and if it was then obviously how did things sort of progress from there to for you getting involved with the nhs 100k lot yeah well i uh, i remember when all the mandates first started um looming their ugly heads over everyone and um, my mum's an, an ICU nurse um and she really didn't want the vaccine she was dead set 
um, from the start that she didn't want it, but the pressure was mounting at work and it was having such a huge effect on her. And she felt so isolated, so alone because she didn't speak out in the staff room. She didn't say anything because the attitudes were so horrendous towards unvaccinated people in general and patients as well, um, not just staff. Um, and she just felt so scared to be able to say anything. And I remember speaking to her really vividly and she said, yeah, it's all right to get the vaccine, but uh, what are you going to do about it? What, what are you what are you guys going to do about it? Like, why is it all on me to, I know I'm feeling really overwhelmed with it. And so I thought, well, yeah, I, re I really love my mum. What am I going to do about it? Because I don't want her to have to have this against her will. So then I started doing some research and like looking to see if there were any groups around that were against it. I knew that they must be. And I knew that the mainstream media narrative of everyone's just going along with this just didn't seem right. So I found NHS 100K on Facebook and then said, I told mum about it and I told mum about the March in York. And we went along together and like immediately she felt so much better. Like when you said earlier about it was a ray of sunshine when you found the group and it, and it was for a lot of people because people just felt so alone so isolated so much like they were the only one in the staff room and they didn't say anything and um yeah I got chatting to um Lilith and Kathy and Sarah and I was just saying how horrendous it is and how much I really wanted to be able to do something to make a difference um because I think you have to, when you feel so strongly about something, you can't just rely on other people to do it for you. You know, you have to, you have to do something. You have to be brave and you have to get involved because if you don't, sometimes nobody else is gonna do it for you. So I then spoke to Kathy and I offered my like time to help with I don't know anything really just answering emails collecting signatures um i updated the help to update the website um so it was a little bit like you know a little bit clunky <laughs> to start with so we critified it and and like all the templates and stuff the letter templates they took time to type and and write and put on there there was a lot of like behind the scenes sort of stuff that required staying up till God knows when <laughs> for days oh, on end. <laughs> um, collecting yeah. signatures. I think how many signatures did we end up getting on the laws letters, Lilith? Was it like it was about three hundred seventy-five, something like that? It, it, yeah. it was seven hundred on one of them. Was it seven hundred? Oh, yeah. I think that was the just getting initials and rolls. But mm. I know, like the actual signatures, it was only. I think that was one of the first ones that we did. It was only about. 375 and I know some people might think it's a small number but for us like as a small group 375 signatures is a lot to deal with and Kaylee and I we I think we went for 20 48 hours I think 48 yeah. hours yeah I would know because yeah. <laughs> we, we we knew that there were like heaps of time pressures on us and there was just I, I was doing these like I was doing NHS stuff during work like you know 
I was lucky I had a crewmate who understood where I stood with the mandate issue and she was generous enough to allow me to just be like, just give me five more minutes. I need to type this message out. And like, yeah, so Kaylee really helped out with like the behind the scenes work and the original website that we had obviously is made by healthcare professionals. We're not tech like we're not tech savvy, so she helped us uh, clean that up and make it a bit more presentable and a little bit more um, welcoming to people finding us. Um, so yeah. she, Kaylee, you, you really helped us out a lot by organising everything. And I think the thing that people, I think the thing that people forget as well is that you guys are all NHS staff and you did all this around all of your shift patterns and all of your regular hours as well like you were still working all the way through it in your NHS jobs too so yeah any way I could have helped you all I mean the amount of times you'd all been on like night shifts and then come straight off and then stayed awake and carried on yeah Mm -hmm. I mean I got a bit emotional listening to your story there, Kate, because it kind of brought back loads of memories of what it was like right, right at the start. And I was just like, Jesus, I think we've all got fucking PTSD. I do a little bit. I generally yeah. do. If I think back to how it was at the beginning, how I felt <laughs> when I got that email from my employer saying, if you don't have the job by the um, fucking 1st of February, you're not going to have a job. Uh, we need to have a meeting with you, you know, and then sitting there and having all that stuff going on. And we all had to deal with that and all had to deal with the discrimination and we all had to still get on camera and, and s- speak and try and motivate people to do stuff so the fact that you know you 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 not come from a medical background your only motivation was and i don't say this lightly was obviously your mum working no one else has got an excuse in my opinion really because you just were like well no i just what can i do to help that's what i can do i'll do it and and you did so Mm -hmm. i don't you know when people say i'm not medical don't matter it don't matter if you really want to fight for freedom and fight for people you care about then there's there's plenty of stuff you can do you just got to want to do it mm-hmm. so thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart you know thanks to all of you i know god i just got to compose myself slightly <laughs> honestly and terrible you asked the wife i am the emotional one in the family she's the oh. she's the man she's totally the man and i'm the one that's like i need cuddles and i need emotional attention <laughs> train wreck train wreck but uh but yeah so i think it's it's like I've, I've always you you guys were the motivation for me wanting to do this podcast in the first place um and i remember when i first met kathy i think i messaged her probably about two hours after meeting her saying i know we've only just met but i wanted to do this podcast and i know you don't know me from adam but <laughs> and i sent her a big long message saying i think we could do it. and then and then it was like we need to have a chat and then you know it kind of worked from there so i didn't come on on board until crawl you'd done all the hard graft to be fair <laughs> you'd done all the hard graft but we were fighting our own battles in our own way weren't we at the time because i remember yeah. seeing lilith i think lilith and i were on a, a couple of shows together i think yeah I'm I, with together. I think we you you were working with together and we were yeah. working together with together um, yes. to, yeah. to get things done so we were all linked and you had your part to play so that was good well yes this is it i'm, I'm so bad i'm so not, not very good at taking compliments i'm like yeah stop it stop it stop it um i think you came along matt when we needed you the most because you came along when nhs kind of staff were where the mandates had been overturned and like um like enthusiasm was sort of dying off a little bit because of the fact that everybody had been through so much and they were all just so relieved that it was 
like over for a little while mm. but you sort of came along and 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 started speaking with people and the right people and started having the right sort of conversations with people about um how how things had happened and why because i think a lot of people still wanted a lot of answers <clears> and <throat> you, you were there to to give that to them Thank you. Thank you. Enough about me now. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's, it's, it is, I mean, who'd have thought, if you think about everything that we've been through from, from like right at the beginning when we were sending mass emails out to everybody saying cut and paste this letter to give it to your MP um, and, 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 tr- and meeting up at the protest and, and the, all the politics that was involved, just trying to get involved in, in the protest. <laughs> And it was like, if we can't even organise protests, how are we going to organise anything else? And it was just like, we've so much work to do. Um, it's hard to it's hard to say whether we've 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 obviously succeeded in certain aspects, but is that simply because more and more people are waking up, or I don't, I don't know whether it's our kind of like unyielding rage towards the NHS for what they did to us? It's never. I don't think I'm ever going to stop trying to be a thorn in their side. After yeah. all of this. <sighs> okay, right. Well, listen, I want some personal experiences from you guys. All right. About because we can all sit here and talk about the stories. All right. And I want, I want, I try and get personal experiences of what the working environment was like because I don't think people appreciate that it was unanimous across every sector in the NHS, no matter what clinical grade you were, if you weren't part of the crew or, you know, part of the masses then you, you were segregated and discriminated against no matter what so can i just get a couple of sort of stories it doesn't have to be the worst story but uh, it doesn't even have to be your story just some some incidences of what you got because i know you used to get sent so many you know things but can you tell me some some sort of stories that that would describe what the environment was like for people like us at the time anybody obviously i don't single anyone out well, yeah, I mean, my mum, my mum would tell me stories about how it was in the staff room. And when I was speaking before, that 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 was, you know, 100% true. There would be staff members who would say, oh, um, you know, in terms of patients, you know, oh, um, them thick whatever downstairs, not had the vaccine, um, they're on, you know, um, giving it all this, I wish I could just put them in a wheelchair and wheel them outside and uh, forget about them and that kind of stuff. And that was how they'd be talking about patients. So then, as an unvaccinated member of staff, you'd mm. never want to say anything. You, you'd never want to speak out and and have that <coughs> kind of awful yeah. retaliation mm. if that's how they were speaking about the patients they were looking after. I think there definitely needs to be an accountability to NHS staff who were speaking <coughs> about patients like that. They, I know that there was a narrative uh, presented by mainstream media and social media that you had to be vaccinated because it was the right thing to do. It was but our professional duty, wasn't it, remember? It was our professional duty. But our professional duty is to respect patients and regardless of their choice, whether it's for their good or their mm-hmm. bad, whatever they want to do, we need to respect it. And that mm-hmm. was our core issue with the NHS 
um, particularly because we don't force patients into specific care plans. We have to ask for consent mm -hmm. from them. And regardless of whether they say yes or no to life-saving treatment, we have to respect that regardless of what we think. So to hear stories of like Kaylee's mum's you know, work colleagues talking about patients like that is mm. disgusting. And even I had, like, I heard a story about one of our team leaders talking to a patient who had COVID but was unvaccinated, and he forced them to walk down the stairs because it was their fault they caught COVID because they chose to be unvaccinated. And my biggest issue is that NHS staff, it's not just with COVID, it's just with other things. They treat patients like crap. Mm. And it's not on and it needs to stop. Um, mm. But COVID really highlighted the, the, the ease of discrimination that occurred in the NHS. Yeah. Uh, and it was disappointing to be with colleagues who, who were really <coughs> disgusted with other humans. Mm. Um, it really did bring out a divide that I was not happy with. Mm. Yeah. I, I was on my station um, not that people were supportive, but probably didn't dare say anything to me because I would have conversations about it. But what stood out for me was um, one of our um, Facebook groups where there's a, probably about a thousand in that group from my ambulance service. <clears throat> and someone put a comment one day about what's people's thoughts on people not getting vaccinated. And this guy, technician, said, well, I would not want any unvaccinated member of staff attend to my mother well that was just like red rag to a bull for me and I came back at him and a few people did give him the news and some of these way vaccinated staff did say you know you're out of order um and he did end up removing the comments um but it was just I, it, I was hearing stories of other stations where they were being humiliated in front of other staff members, some staff were saying that they wouldn't want to work with a, an unvaccinated mm -hmm. member of staff. And I just thought, I was like, I cannot believe what I am hearing. Um, mm -hmm. People just turning against each other. And <coughs> services as well didn't help the fact that everything was in your face. It was on the intranet, mm -hmm. um, you know, our internal intranet, um, about getting your vaccine, about this. It was just totally everything... You know, there was posters on walls. It was just absolutely drummed down our throats. And it was just the pressure that some people were experiencing. It was unbelievable. Mm. And like you said, people are suffering to this day because it was such a traumatic, traumatic time. And I do think that everyone involved within the service should be held accountable for what they put staff through. It was just yeah. I, when... Yeah. It came to our meetings of why we didn't want to have the vaccine. I had to correct the manager because he mm. said to me, you've got the choice of three licensed vaccines. And I said, and it, I said, I need to stop you there. I said, did you say licensed? And it was like, yes. I said, mm. the unlicensed. And then I said, for emergency authorisation, he went, oh, I said, you need to change that. I said, because you, you're giving out misinformation to the staff. Mm -hmm. But it was awful. It was just, it was right before Christmas. So everybody had to go through Christmas, you know, knowing that they were potentially going to lose the jobs. Yeah. But at that point as well, there was also, it was it was also well known that it didn't actually, none of them prevented you from catching it and therefore spreading it. 
at that point. So the whole the whole sort of ethos behind that actually you're doing this to protect your patients. No, you're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, that bit had gone. That bit that had bit had been long gone because within about what was it, four or five weeks, there were people were becoming infected after having their COVID vaccines. Um yeah. I mean I have to say where I went, the team that I worked in, probably because I'd been as much as you might find this hard to believe, is I've been quite quiet at work and not speaking my mind about things. Um, <laughs> so I've been quite vocal from from, from the match, uh, what, 20, 2020? God, it feels like, I can't believe it's three years now. About everything. Um, so by the time I got around to the vaccines and I'd made that decision not, not to have it, um, and actually, at first, it was it wasn't. Uh, I'm never having it. It was that we've only got 15 million vac- 15 million vaccines, and I think there was that joke going around. I didn't realise they meant each um, <laughs> that we had to. Um, and I was thinking, I'm not in a high risk group. I'm not working with a high risk group. Um, so it wasn't that it wasn't like a, a, a steadfast no from the start. It was like I just don't feel that I need it at this moment in time. And then as as it started to um, come through about um, that it wasn't actually stopping you from catching it and then spreading it, I was thinking, not happening. There's no point in this. And then you start hearing the stories about, you know, people becoming unwell after having them and stuff. Um, but it wasn't so much the team that I worked in that was being negative, like, like you hear about those stories. It was the actual trust that I worked for coming in hard and heavy handed, you know, saying like, you know, you're gonna you can lose your job, you know, HR, sending meetings out, you know, we were all issued with, with letters, um, you know, the the amount of sort of information meetings that we were um encouraged to attend, which was just the nonsensical slides that mainstream media had been pumping across people. And as soon as you sort of like you know, I heard somebody asking the questions going, but this doesn't compare anything. What about X, Y, and Z? They couldn't answer it. And it was just literally, it was just that same oh, almost script being parried out, wasn't it, to everybody that we heard across the board. Um, and sadly, some some staff working in the NHS took that literally into heart and used it as a, as a way to, to bully other members of staff. Um, you know, and that's te- that is what happened, you know, that staff were bullied by their colleagues mm. people i mean people think that a lot of the nhs haven't spoken like sp- spoken out but they, they have they, there yeah. is a lot that I've spoke out but it goes nowhere i've spoke out many occasions i've sent emails off to um my ceo um union reps and the first one i sent off of my concerns um, I just had a response from a, a chief pharmacist of my ambulance service, which was basically a cut and paste from the yellow card system. So I tore that to pieces and went back to her again. She come back again with more cut and paste from the yellow card. I just thought, I'm I'm just peeing against the wind. Mm-hmm. And then when I, um, I, I left the NHS in October, and I thought, right, I was cleaning one day and... Um, happened to come across this little booklet and I opened it and all the executives and non-executive directors of my ambulance service were in this little booklet. So I think I was meant to find it. So I thought, right, I'm going to send another, well, I'll I'll use the word little lightly because it was about 
15 pages long <laughs> email to the CEO and all the non-executive directors and directors and I'd sent it on I think it was the 23rd of December gone and I actually got um, a response about five days later from the CEO and their response was dear Sarah I've got it in front of me I'm replying to acknowledge your email I'm sorry to note your decision to leave the NHS and wish you all the best for the future that was the response from my CEO from a 15 page I put absolutely everything in there evidence everything was backed up I put all NHS 100k podcasts, all the vaccine injured information, um, Andrew Brigden, Dr. Malatra, absolutely everything that I could think of. And that was the response. So these people out there trying to speak off, these are a lot who were afraid to speak out, which mm. is understandable. But but these, <laughs> these people, but we it just gets swept under the carpet. It really does. Yeah. But it does just go to show. When five people get their heads together, right, and they've got the same goal and some support from people, look at what you achieved. Yeah. Look at what you achieved. Millions, I reckon, marched that day. I don't care what they say. But there was a lot of people that came down to London that day. When we got going and we set up the social media accounts, how quickly the numbers grew in those accounts when we thought we were going to be a very small number. But very quickly... We, we were hitting 10, 20,000. We were like, where are they all coming from? And mm. they were all the messages I was getting on the Instagram account, I think Sarah was the same with Twitter, was that they just didn't think they had a voice and they were they were mm. all quiet in their own staff rooms, like um, Kaylee's mum, just frightened to speak up. And when we put ourselves out there, I think there was a massive relief that there was a support network out there, really, yeah. in the courage to, um, to start speaking. So, Even uh, when you try to speak speak in your own stations, yeah, you would just get these blank looks at you. No one was interested in delving further into your concerns, worries. No, everyone was like, "Oh, I think it's it's not right," you know, um, the mandates. But no one was fighting for us. No one was helping us and speaking up for us. We were literally on our own. There was two on my station, me and another yeah. girl, the paramedic. Yeah. But the thing that they like, please, someone just help us. But our colleagues. Well, you know, they didn't agree, some of them, but no one was willing to... But I think sometimes when people have had that much fear driven into them, yeah, which is what effectively had been happening since March 2020, is, and not just across the NHS, but across, across the world, it was just fear-driven narrative being pumped at people. You catch this virus, you will, you will die, you will become severely... And, and that's, all, that's all it was. Um... That actually, I think I think some healthcare professionals became terrified. Like we're just ordinary members of the public as well. At the end of the day, aren't we? Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? That the, the amount, you know, I had loads of staff come up to me going, "This, you know, this mandate's not right. I don't agree with it." And quite often, I would say to them, "So, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? You've made a choice to have the vaccine, and that's entirely up to you. You know, it is about choice. But what are you doing as a healthcare professional that has a code of conduct to challenge this?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That actually, we've got capacity. We, you know, we're able to consent. I mean, in mental health, we we can't we can't give physical health drugs even if somebody hasn't got capacity. We can't. Yeah. We can only give mental health dr drugs. We can't give any physical health drugs at all under force. 
It's only mm. mental health drugs that we can we can give. So therefore, you you had uh, hundred thousand healthcare staff with capacity able to consent being forced to have a treatment. Um, you know, so, so for me, I just think that why why didn't more healthcare professionals stand up and challenge? And it's because of the fear that had been pumped into people for the for the what past eighteen months at that at that time. They were absolutely terrified, as were most of the country. It, it was definitely the element that they lent on, particularly for healthcare workers, that they mm. were putting their patients at risk. Yeah. That that was the that was the worst part for me because I know that you guys and, and my mum and any healthcare professional would never intentionally put a patient at risk and they weren't putting patients at risk by not having this vaccine as we all now know yeah you know i think we were all even at the beginning i'll admit it i was one of those sat waiting for boris coming on every day um me and my crewmate we were wearing arm sleeves masks the, the full lot we didn't know what this was because we were ter we were terrified and it, that went on for a while until we started to think something's Something doesn't seem right here because what I'm seeing on that TV, I ain't witnessing that on the road. Mm. And yeah. the turning point for me when I start to think, because I used to think, oh, well, maybe it just hasn't hit our, our area yet. You know, is it down south or it's here? We've just been lucky. And you start going on a little bit further. And I think it was late, I think towards the summer, when I we, had to, we went to do a transfer for a downgrade of care um, to an ICU ward. Um, so me and my crewmate had the full outfit on, arm sleeves, mask, and we walked in and the receptionist said to us, oh, you don't need all that, you just need your mask. And I walked into ICU and there was not one single person in that bed, them beds. There was two patients in the room. Mm -hmm. One we were taken for a downgrade of care, the other one sat reading the newspaper and we took the patient, come out and we were like, that's, that's really odd that, because why are we not seeing what we're seeing on TV? You know, so that's when I start to think, hmm, something is a bit odd. But no, not suspicious of anything, nothing. And then I think it was where the rollout of the vaccine. And I was like, you, Sam, it was just mm -hmm. like, well, I don't have had COVID. I've, I've got my own immune system. <clears throat> Didn't think anything sinister or anything like that. <clears throat> and then you start to see things on social media and think, oh, then you start to see things amongst your staff. Mm -hmm. and then your patients mm. and that's mm -hmm. when I thought something's not right here yeah and then the turning point with the definite turning point for me was with the <coughs> April after the rollout was with when the what, I sorry? after the rollout was the right. it was the April after the rollout of the vaccine mm. when I went to a patient and she um so it said that uh, query straw we got there checked over it was a Bell's palsy and I just happened to ask her I said, oh, because I'd, I'd just been looking at the yellow card and I asked her if she'd had any vaccinations recently and she said, yeah, she said, I had my COVID vaccine an hour ago. Well, at that point, I knew there'd been 276 cases of Bell's palsy, so we took her to urgent care. Yeah, and I contacted our GP because the, the nurse in the hospital didn't know what the yellow was. <clears throat> so I thought, you're not going to report it. So I, I spoke to our GP. And the GPV was very grateful for me letting her know and that she would report it. And from then on, that's when I started asking if I suspected anything, if it was out the ordinary, 
and I would ask the question. Obviously, someone broke the ankle or hurt the knee. I'm like, oh, I've been vaccinated. It was mainly <laughs> chest pains, strokes, all them, you know, and then um, we did. And obviously, I think with what I find amongst my ex-colleagues is that they're not joining the dots because if it's not happening straight away, they're not linking it. Mm. Or if it's something two, three, four weeks down the road, or even if they're asking if they're vaccinated, because some people say, oh, they must know, they must know. But I work, I've worked amongst a lot of people who they did not have a clue. They didn't, they were not joining the dots. Mm. Um, so there I is think... a lot of stuff out there still that are not. Yeah. To what, what we are, we are. Yeah. Well, I think for me, it was when, when consent was being thrown around so much and obviously being paramedics and working in the NHS uh, and even not working in the NHS, you still need to ask permission to do stuff. If you're going to be doing something with a person, you know, um, I, I don't think people appreciate even as paramedics, even to do your blood pressure, we have to ask permission. Mm. If we're going to touch you in any way, shape or form, we have to say, can I do this? We have to. And if you say no, then we can't. So, um, it was interesting how it was all getting thrown around quite regularly about consent when we are the, like the bastions of consent being a paramedic because all the other, you know, what happens if the patient's unconscious? What happens with consent then? And all that, you know, we have to have all those things safeguarding. Have they got the capacity to consent and refuse? Are they aware of what happens if they refuse? You know, we, we are well aware of what consent means in the role that we do. Being told that, that people are getting informed consent when you're thinking, well, if I don't know, I haven't told them. They've not been told. So it was, that's when I, for me, I started getting wrapped up in that whole, well, I've not given consent. And and I know for the people that are lining up, the goodwill citizens giving the injections to these people, they've not given them consent because they don't even know what they're doing. Um, so they almost bypassed the blame onto the good Samaritan who was just trying to do what they thought was right by vaccinating patients, if you know what I mean. But I bet none of them were asked what their medical history was, any allergy, you know. So there's there's going to be, there's going to be a bit of a liability problem, but I, I think for paramedics, I think for paramedics as well, like because we are frontliners. Like I, I feel like people in hospitals, they don't see people in their homes and their environments. Mm. And as paramedics, we we get to have that um, little window into people's lives, and we see mm. bad choices. I think for me, it was always it was always about choice. Um, because personally, I don't mind if you get vaccinated or not. It's absolutely your choice. It's just mm. these restrictions came down on people who were against the normal narrative. And I just thought we don't do this for other people. Like your alcoholics, we still have to treat them. You have your smokers who've smoked for a long time who mm. end up with COPD, still continue to smoke. Uh, we still have to treat them regardless of their, their choice to continue smoking. Um, and I just thought we, when we started having that divide of vaccinated, unvaccinated, I just thought there's something very wrong here. Mm -hmm. It is not okay. Like we're allowed to make our own choice. And as paramedics, we're taught that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a bad, if you think it's a bad choice, it is the patient's <laughs> choice and it's their choice to do whatever they like. You just have to respect it. Um, and that complete removal of that and turning it into this whole, it's your fault and you're you're the one to blame. You you are COVID. You're a mm. danger to me. Like mm. that stuff really irked me and it made me really just fight harder for the right to choose because I just knew that 
if we didn't fight for the right to choose in the future we're never going to choose mm -hmm. and um so so i'm more of a person who's coming in from the freedom to choose mm. if you want to get vaccinated that's your choice we know like personally we've seen people with really bad side effects from it and for me in my role i've been doing the yellow card reporting system because i'm in a privileged position where i can do that um so i put in a few reports um but like sarah says there are there are people in our, in the health industry who aren't connecting the dots but i think they're coming from a place of compliancy i think mm. with us we're a little bit more we're a bit more <laughs> free thinkers and especially paramedics we do have to think on our feet and we have to adapt whereas people in the hospitals they're following flow charts and it's all safe there whereas mm. with paramedics i think we're a bit more free thinkers so we do question a lot more and i think yeah. this is why there's a lot more paramedics who um kind of questioned the COVID narrative final, <laughs> final question then final question um because you kind of answered the other one, which which I wanted to say, which is basically, is there still sort of many NHS staff that are still oblivious to uh, yeah. <laughs> to what's going on and happening? And I think we've established that there are, but we've also established that there are a few that are awake and trying to shout um, about it as well. And I try and say to people, it's like swimming against the tide. You know, there's only so long you can do it before you just give up and you just have to get swept along for it. But, you know, it doesn't mean you're happy that you're there. Um, I, I do find it interesting because, like, during the mandates, because I was so vocal about it, like, I'm quite, I'm a bit notorious at work. And particularly with the managers, they have been targeting and bullying me. That's why I'm being a bit under the radar because they're a bit like get rid of her um but it, it's interesting to see that during the mandates there were certain people who would not look me in the eye they would walk past not say hello not look me in the eye uh, and now it's completely changed they're just like oh hi how are you like you know mm. blah 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 have a conversation as if everything's back to normal and there were even like team leaders who were very um you know, they were very pro-vaccine. Now they're starting to talk to me and I just think, oh, really? You, you, you've changed your tune there. Like, how interesting that you couldn't say anything to my face because, you know, like I had a few issues at work where people were, so with our leaflets, I was not meant to be leafleting, but I did. But someone scrunched up our leaflet and put it back in my tray. Mm -hmm. uh, so I said it was bullying and harassing and, uh our um, LGM just said, I'm not following this up. You shouldn't be leafleting at work. And I just thought, really, that's interesting. It's still a bullying claim. You're not you're not going to follow that up? Mm. So it's been a hard road working against a narrative. That's for you sure. You sound like you've had a really tough time, Lilith. I have. I still am, to be honest with you. Like, I'm now on a written formal warning because I refused to wear a mask because it was during uh, Omicron times. It was an outdoor cardiac arrest and I weighed up the safety of it and I thought, this guy's not dying of COVID. He <laughs> drank poison, so it was a completely different thing. So I chose not to wear a mask and it was outdoors, which is like the safest place that you are meant to be, according to the government. And everyone had been vaccinated by then anyway, so I just thought, I don't really need a mask. So I refused that. So work was on my tail about that. And then I refused to test because I thought, well, if you really want to go and be safe, I might as well self-isolate because that way I don't have people contact. So I self-isolated and they said, well, no, you refuse to test. And I said to them, these tests are so inaccurate. You know they're inaccurate. 
but they won't have a bar of it. So I'm down for uh, breaking policy and refusing managers' requests. And now I have a written warning. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, they're just um, using everything and anything to try and get rid of me. So... You better, do that, you better do that grooming course you were going to do, Lilith. I am, actually. I'm really I'm thinking about transitioning out because I want... Oh, grooming, let's just be clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I need to offer an intervention. <laughs> it was the non-clinical person that brought that to everyone's attention. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like even now like i've had like there's just this um just this complaint with a colleague but they're trying to get me again for policies so it's just an endless mm -hmm. just get rid of her in any way possible because yeah. i'm just i'm too vocal and i'm too non-compliant like i just don't but, it, but it's, it only comes from like this this place of wanting the nhs and the, mm. the ambulance service i work for to be better and to provide better patient care and just with the way things are, nobody cares about the patient anymore. It's all about the money, about the savings. Um, so it's just, I would rather care about the patients as opposed to following these red tape rules that stop you from providing patient care, but mm -hmm. they don't mm. see that. <laughs> no, I think what would be a good podcast. So I've got my fitness to practice hearing on the 11th of April, which is a day after my birthday. Yeah. Yay! And this has been going on for three years. So it's nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> it's just how long it takes. So maybe we can do a joint podcast where we cry into the camera about our suspensions <laughs> and we can tell everybody. Celebrate our non-compliance. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, I, I spoke about this on the last podcast briefly, but mine, mine are all just because I'm not, I think, and I'm not trying to, to cast it aside at all because, you know, there is an element of, um, reflection and acceptance to, to have with every complaint but when you read some of the complaints that the patients make you're a bit like why, why am I having to deal with this I don't, I don't I, what did I do wrong here she didn't like when I said this but did she get the right treatment did she no yeah she right so why am, but, so people don't appreciate that that someone could just put in a, a, a sensibly worded complaint and it can really fuck your day up from a medical yeah. career perspective yeah, I think especially because we're we're all in the job to do our best and to mm. you know really help people. So it's when these small little things prop up and then your managers don't back you, and that's the problem. Like it's just there. I know they have to follow their policies and procedures, but as someone who who wants to do the best in their job, and you get this small complaint come in, who that shouldn't be followed up because you know it's rubbish and it sounds like rubbish and it reads like rubbish, but they push it in your face. And they get you for other stuff like policies or, you know, behaviour and all that. And it's, you, you just kind of go, it's not worth it in the end. And I think that's why and the NHS is losing a lot of staff as well, personally. But Yeah, yeah. And this is what they're failing to kind of address here, aren't they? I mean, it was another thing I wanted to mention as well. The, 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 the main, you know, the age of the staff, I don't think people appreciate how young, especially frontline ambulance workers at the moment yeah. as well, how yeah. young the staff are, 20. You know, you, you get into uni when you're 18, two, two yeah. three, you're three now. Coming out when you're 2021 20, with, with the weight of the world over your shoulders and little okay, right. This is the last question. This is the last question, and I wanted to ask it because um, I think people are going to think it's an obvious question to ask, but but I'm hoping now people have developed a bit of a rapport and a trust with you guys. Did you see a noticeable increase in um, in vaccine harms and injuries out on the road? Yeah, I've seen a lot. 
I've seen it. Yeah. Things that, uh, early on, but I think a lot, there was a lot of publicity about um, the clots, wasn't there, with the AstraZeneca? Mm. So a lot of people were realising it. It was a bit of a paradox, really, that that was being um, was out in mainstream media. So people were jumping on it, but joining the dots quite quickly. I, I went to a few people that relatives had said, this is the vaccine. She only had the vaccine yesterday and she never had this issue before. And a couple of things that went, again, when you looked upon the yellow card scheme, were already being reported as side effects. Things that weren't clots or um, even cardiac, but things that people had realised, they were linking it to to the vaccine quite early on, I, I found. Mm. Um, I think I think people need to know that I don't know how it was in other hospitals, but in London for sure, there was a separate triage list for possible COVID um, vaccine-related injuries and illnesses in the hospitals. Wow. Really? So there was a, so I don't know if anyone knows it, if anyone can follow up, but there was definitely um, two hospitals that I knew that had a separate triage sheet for people who were coming in after the vaccination presenting with just generic illnesses. So they were, and they they do have the, those records. Um, so there is something that people do know about. Yeah. Um, so so usually if there's a pathway for something, it's happened enough that this required someone to actually say, right, we need to fast track these people through. Yeah. Mm. I, I, it was a lot more younger generation that I was noticing as well that were coming through with different things and younger heart failures. Mm. People who were fit, healthy people, didn't take medications, yeah. were then telling us, oh, I've got heart failure, you know, in the 40s and the 50s. Mm. Um, the, the, there was a few different different what things I, I did come across. And I mean, like, like we say, people aren't linking it if it's a couple of weeks, but there was times when you know, I was going the same day, or it was, or it was the, the day after I had a conversation with a, a stroke nurse on a transfer. Um, we transferred a patient who, she was post-vaccine, um, full left-sided stroke, couldn't communicate. Um, and we took him back to the hospital and I asked him, and I said, I'm seeing an increase in strokes um, from the vaccine. And his exact, exact answer was yes. He said, and it's usually happening within three days of having the vaccine. And I asked if it was a particular vaccine and he said, no, he said any. And that was pretty, probably around about the summer I asked that question after the rollout of the vaccine. Um, so when you're hearing that from the horse's mouth as well, a stroke unit. Mm. Um, and there was just different, another one was a, a young lad um, who, um, severe testicular pain. And I mean, he was, this guy was, he was in, in agony um and i mentioned in our telegram group i said we had a strange one today he'd had the vaccine the day before and someone actually brought up a paper about the the vaccine settling in the testings and the ovaries mm. um so it was just different things um some mightn't have been but when you when you're sort of seeing things you suspect things a lot um but it's proven it as well and, and you take them into the A&E's and you land it up to the nurses and I remember handing this lady over to a nurse and it was 
I would say it was obvious it was from the vaccine. And her response was, um, she went, oh, she said, when I had my third vaccine, my arm was hurting and did it. And I was like, she's just not listening to what I'm telling her. And that's what, what we're up against when we are taking these patients into to A&E's. It's just... Mm. They either don't want to know, they're not linking the dots, joining the dots. I don't know. I think it's... Um... What, what concerns me the most now is despite all the new evidence that's emerged about the potential, well, the, the proven vaccine harms, is they're still like educating people out on the road about what to look for and in hospitals. So they're still not saying, here's a copy of the yellow card scheme. Here's what to look for. Here's, yeah. here's that. They're still not doing that. They're still denying that it's even going on. And gas Well, when it, when it came out, when the government document came out about um, the, the Pfizer vaccine um, to look out for part pericarditis, myocarditis. Now, this was a government document. I approached my service and asked them, why are you not making our clinicians aware of this? Um, didn't get any response. Then two weeks later, we have an app. Um, I don't know whether work, if you have it in your other services. We have a, a GRCAL cap. And within within a week, that then appeared on our app. Um, so they did listen, mm. but they didn't put it out there to tell everybody so I stuck it on the, the notice board in the station and put it important in red capitals <laughs> but it's, still... little, it's little things like that though that that that, that do work because all they've got to do I mean I, I mean I think about when you think about when you kind of like everybody had their own individual moment of kind of like clarity where they set off on their journey mine was just a, a friend sending me I think it was the fall of the cabal the first bunch right and then loaded like a facebook message like look at this look at that and i was reading all this like what the fuck what was this shit <laughs> and i think i watched one of the first videos and i was like holy shit and it's like my brain just like and i thought hang on a minute no no, no this is this but it's just like everything just seemed to fit into place and then obviously i the, that's the benefit of having the, the medical mind is you go wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute usually when something is is too good and too good to be true and all this kind of stuff you know so you can kind of come at it with a slightly more balanced, a balanced view, but then that's the problem then because you start to understand all the bull, the bullshit biology they were using against us. <laughs> I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't know many viruses that can spend three days on an Amazon box outside. <laughs> I mean, if, if it can, we, we would have been fucked ages ago. I mean, that's some Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator shit virus, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It can survive literally outside with no means of replicating, you know, for three days. It's like many, many of us did felt fall for it all, didn't we? we we've all we're probably all <laughs> fallen for this fear mm. at the beginning of standing mm. two meters apart and walking. No one wanted to kill anybody else, though, did they? Oh, you look back and it's just. I don't. I actually quite like that bit. Actually, <laughs> making people stand further away from me. <laughs> yes. My best friend coming to walk me dog because I had COVID. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just like, what? Oh, so many stupid things, but hey, we can't forget these things either because we no. need to be reminded of what happens when we don't take our, when we take our eyes off the prize. Yeah, yeah. For a bit, right? Okay. Listen, final words then from anybody. Any final thank yous to people? Thank you to the workers of England who really provide a lot of support and a lot of our like. Um, we shared a lot of what they were sending out because they know. The legislation and uh, they know employment law so they really supported a lot of our um supporters and such in their battles at work um you know it's it's been a hard battle 
even I'm suffering from like difficult battles, but Worker of England um, have been really good in providing um, assistance uh, to some of the staff members within the NHS. So thank you to them. Yeah. There's heaps of people that that were part of this journey. Uh, Patrick really as well. Patrick who yeah. organised all those selfie boards and he decorated his camper van with NHS 100K on the side of it. And he come up to Leeds. We met him in London. He, he did a fantastic job. So a big thank you to him as well. There's a lot. And of I think everyone was brave enough to speak out once we got the ball rolling. You know, we wouldn't have done it without everyone jumping on board. Really, no. exactly. um, everybody, everybody that joined, everybody, yeah. people who we were so grateful and so thankful yeah. for what they did. Because it's not just us six here. It was everybody. everybody else. There were so many other people involved, and there's just yeah. these. There's, there's probably loads of like, Some of the messages I get now from people are like, you know, are NHS 100K going to get beyond this and going to get beyond that? And you're like, you, you know, there's only six of us. We're not like the Daily Bugle, you know, like where we, we're on retainer and stuff and <laughs> to just loiter around these places and do podcasts in my spare room in my house. You know, it's. um I don't know. It's like we have to work, guys. You know, we, we're not like some of the others, the other um, organisations where we we get loads of donations and stuff, man. I mean, you said yourself, everything stopped when we reversed the mandates. Everyone, yeah. just like, right, and thank you to everybody who did did send in donations because it helped us buy all the placards, the banners, leaflets. Mm. the podcast, the website, keeping that. So you know, mm. that's been a massive. Mm. Yeah, thank you for the group leads as well. So the local groups, yeah. like because they were providing so much support for those little areas. So thank you to everyone who stepped up and put their names down to be one of the group leads. Um, I think a lot of the groups have disbanded now, but at that time we did, like like everyone was saying, everyone felt so alone until we yeah. knew that there were other people and that it was like a ray of sunshine and having those groups to kind of pass messages on to provide that support that we needed to say, hang in there, say no, this is what you need to say. Like those groups were so vital to having this work. So mm. thank you to everyone who created a group and provide the support. And one last Phil, thing. You did all our outlet. Phil as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. What... Um, what is it NHS 100K are going to be sort of continuing to do and what, we, what we're kind of doing now? What, what are we going to do? We, we still, I mean, behind the scenes, we're still fighting discrimination. Um, we're always getting emails regarding job um, descriptions with the vaccine mandate. Um, anybody who is um, discriminated because they don't want a PCR test or wear a mask, um, you know, they'll come to us and we, we'll give them advice or we, we'll um, advise to join a union, Workers of England. Um, and we, will, we, we always contact these trusts to basically mm. tell them what they're doing is wrong. Um, so we still do that. We, you know, we, with the podcast, the podcast at the minute, this is, ju this is just like a great idea. Um, it really is because it gives the, the vaccine injured and bereaved a platform to be able to come on and speak, tell us their stories. Um, any doctors, nurses, paramedics, <laughs> clinicians, any any hospital staff, um, if they have a story, you know, to come on and, and talk about it, everybody, you know, is welcome onto the podcast. 
and um, just just get you know contact us via email or, or you Matt and um, hopefully anybody can come on. Um, so that, that's probably about it at the minute. Just supporting supporting other groups. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Still, still fighting this this mask mandate as well, um, because there is still a lot of staff that are still being told they should be wearing a mask. Yeah. Mm. It's just standing up to it and saying no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think yeah. It's- so I think I think as a group we're still going along that that direction. I think individually though, because we're all doing our own little thing. Um, personally, I'm aiming more against the privatisation of the NHS yeah. and the use of digital IDs because. Mm the more that we have digital information, the more likely we will be privatised. But that's more of an individual thing away from <coughs> NHS for me, away from the NHS 100K for me. Yeah. Well, I think we'll be called again soon. We're a bit like um, He-Man, really, you know, until he actually kind of like holds the sword aloft his head and says, you know, then we will appear. But I think, you know, people haven't seen The Last of Us, have they? No. No, collectively no. <laughs> well, listen, um, I want to thank you girls as well from the bottom of my heart as well because I generally like say when I first found out you guys, it was like, yeah, I cannot, yes, genuinely was like fist bumping in the air, like, oh my God, I can't. And then I was like, it's five girls. Oh my God. Oh my God. Even more crazy. And then I was just like, all the men, all the men, you know, where are the men at? And um, so it was, yeah. So it's been so. I apologise for the lack of spinage in the men. <laughs> Some of us have balls and cojones, <laughs> even though they might just be our ladies. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I do, I, seriously though, I just want to say thank you to you guys, and I shall continue to do the podcast for as long as I, uh, so long as I'm allowed to do it. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. Thank you. And no doubt we'll end up having to do some form of fighting soon because it's not over yet, is it really? No. It's not over at all. So just because we're quiet, that doesn't mean we're not doing stuff behind the scenes. But <laughs> feel free to reach out to everybody. I've not put the um, address on to email because I put it in the show notes because I didn't want to put it over people's names. I wanted everyone to remember their names. Um, but I'll put the website address down and the podcast email. Get in touch, people. Get in touch if there's anything you want to talk about, any stories, anything at all, any ideas you think we should be doing, any any sort of areas you think we should be covering or shedding any light on, then just get in touch because you are our eyes and ears um, out there. So we all need to work together. So listen, stick around. All right, when I end this, I have to say that because otherwise people just disappear. Um, and um, yeah, stick around and we'll have a quick chat. But uh, say thanks to everybody. Say bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you to the girls of NHS 100K and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you all for your support. I'll see you on the flip side. Stay safe, be good, and stay out of trouble. <laughs>